You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, this is Dr. Carrie Bedian from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, hosting another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored with my two delightful colleagues and friends, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. And Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Hi, everybody. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing good. good. Doing yeah. good. What's new? Anything fun? Well, I don't know about Susan, but I'm getting ready for spring for one. Um and I, I was just talking about with you guys just a minute ago about, you know, now that Christmas is over and all the Christmas cards have been sent, you know, that's the only time I ever really mail anything out to people anymore. I never write anything down or if I do, it's a text or an email or something. But I was just saying that I just got a letter from one of my mentors and she helped me through fellowship. She actually became my fertility doctor for a short period of time. Um, and, and I send her Christmas cards every year and my kids are now in their teens, but they were both IVF babies and she helped me with getting pregnant with them. And so I sort of just like a lot of our patients, I like to send her, you know, updates on what we're doing and what they're doing and how, you know, what they look like and all that. And so just out of the blue, about a week or so ago, I got a letter and I saw her name on the outside of the envelope and I'm like, what? I, I was just shocked. I didn't, I was like, why would she be sending me a letter? So I opened it up and it was the sweetest, like two page little letter. And she filled me in on her family and what was going on with her and that she's retiring and just started talking about, you know, the times that I was there in fellowship and, and the early times when I was there as a, as a young attending and what good times that she had. And she really missed me and just said some really nice things. And, you know, it was such unexpected, kind words. I, I I was telling Carrie and Susan, I had to shut the door because I was kind of in tears. It just, it hit me. I'm like, it was so sweet. And that, that literally just made my week, you know, for her. To, and, and actually she mentioned our podcast. She knew about our, or she, I had mentioned in my Christmas card Aww. that we were doing a podcast and she had tuned in and she goes, oh, I hope your podcast goes well. And Aww. so it just, it just was so sweet. And it just really brought to the forefront about how words really can make a big difference, whether it's from somebody in your own household, whether it's from your friend, whether it's from your doctor. It's just amazing how words can make such a big difference and, you know, the way the way that you talk to people. And, and I always have to remind myself of that when I'm talking to patients that, you know, it, particularly if it's somebody that I think has a really good prognosis, I usually like to tell them that at the end, I used, usually like to say, you know, I don't know if you're going to get pregnant, but I think, you know, if I had to guess, you have a really good chance. And, you know, it's amazing how many times that really uplifts people and they'll make a comment about, oh, well, gosh, that's the best news we've heard, you know, in a, in a while. And mm-hmm. so I think we as physicians have to be really good at trying to encourage our patients and encourage the people around us too. you guys. What are your thoughts on that? I think I think that's good advice for all of society right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that um, generally we have become relatively loose with words and you know, we don't necessarily pay attention to all of them. And especially now that everybody is so much more distanced and hopefully we'll, we'll all be getting together again soon with with the immunizations and things like that. But, you know, when, when you do have those chances to have those conversations, you know, whether it's professionally or personally, um, words matter. And how what the how the words sound matter as well. I have uh, in my office. I have a little, you know, standing cabinet for where I hang my scrubs and where I hang my clothes when I change into scrubs and those types of things. And on the back of that door, because I can no longer display everything because of HIPAA, I have um, 
every single card that any patient has written me since I've been an attending. And so now it's like a couple layers deep, but I need to actually start <laughs> thinking about getting organized and like buying um, uh, an album to tuck them all in. But those those things are important. And and especially from the perspective of um, what we do, I mean, there there have been days and, and whole weeks that have been rescued by by getting a card from a patient or an email or something like that. Because um, yeah, some weeks can be pretty tough in our field, can't they? Some weeks it seems like yeah. nothing seems to go right for anybody, and just you feel just beaten down at the end of the week. Uh huh. And and I had a patient who I called with you know really pretty bad news, but it was news that both of us were expecting. And she, she was just so appreciative and so thankful. And she was like, thank you for treating me so well. You know, I know that this was a long shot and and she knew coming in, but, um, but that made a huge day. And I was like, okay. And that got me through the next several days, which happened to be just a miserable week for, for helping people. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and those, those things make a difference because the, the amount of you know, abuse that we take and that we see and the amount of just hardship that we see sadness, our, yeah. and sadness that we are a party to is, um, it's a lot. And so those, those words are important, whichever direction they are flowing from us to us, <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, you know, all of it's, it's good. So, all right. So our question this week, we actually decided that we were just going to turn the whole episode into this question. Um, <laughs> And so the the question is, what are your thoughts of using donor egg or donor embryo or embryo adoption um, for a woman to get pregnant after 45? Um, What are the chances of success in getting pregnant and what are the factors impacting success? So we kind of decided to to turn the whole episode into this because it's, it's a good question. It's a very relevant question for a lot of our patients. So let's, um, Let's just take it bit by bit. And so, Abby, what do you think about just overall, what are the chances of a woman 45 or older getting pregnant? Well, like you said in a previous episode, you know, we we see miracles in our field, but we don't see them often. And, you know, if you really want the best chance of getting pregnant, if you're 45 or older, it's really going to have to be with donor eggs or donor embryos. You know, we we all know that person in our church or in our community or when we were growing up that had her 10th kid when she was, you know, 47 or 48. And there's there are those people out there. I mean, they do exist, but it, you know, and I don't know this exact statistic, but I would say it's probably in the fifth percentile of all women at that age that are trying, you know, they're able to get pregnant, they're having sex and have a partner and that produces sperm very, very low percentage. And it's usually not their first pregnancy. It's usually their, you know, double digit pregnancy or their (laughs) sixth or seventh or whatever. I mean, it's not something that usually people get pregnant the first time over 45. So I would really say, you know, it's not impossible, but it's almost impossible. Less than 1% chance at 45 that you're going to get pregnant using your own eggs, unfortunately. So Susan, why is that? Why is that? Oh, well, first of all, I'll get to the why is that. But <laughs> this is me getting on my soapbox a little bit. I think this is one of the places in the media that has hurt. Let me just say an amen. I'm, I'm shaking my head up and down really hard. So I'm going to say amen. I agree with what you're about to say. <laughs> that has hurt women in American society more than probably almost anything else in the last like two decades is this false conception 
of that. Ching. Did you do that on purpose? I know. Misconception. Misconception <laughs> that ovarian aging is not real and that, um, you know, all these famous people are getting pregnant spontaneously after the age of 45. And what I tell my patients is here are the statistics, which are very, very small, as Abby mentioned, multiply that times the likelihood of becoming that famous. I would say nine times out of 10, those people are not giving you the entire truth. <laughs> Which I mean, is there, it's their prerogative. It's none of our business. Right. And it is totally their prerogative. Yeah. But, but. but the thought of getting spontaneously pregnant at 47 or 51 or whatever it is in that age group, it is not likely to happen. And expecting that to be somebody's individual reality is, is so hurtful, is so hurtful. Mm-hmm. And my heart goes out to my patients that come into me and they're like, well, we're ready to get pregnant and I'm 46. And I'm like, whew, we need to talk. So onto that, <laughs> we need to talk. What, what exactly happens with eggs? So when baby girls are in their mama's tummies, they have about 3 million eggs. By the time they're born, they're down to about a million by the time they go through puberty, they're down to about 300,000. The average woman is going to ovulate about 450 eggs in a lifetime. The rest of those eggs in the ovaries are going to go through something called atresia or programmed cell death. They're just going to kind of disappear. The rate at which they disappear usually significantly increases in the upper 30s and early 40s. So by the time you get to your mid 40s, even though you're having periods every month, you don't have a lot of eggs. Now, even when a woman goes through menopause, the average age of menopause is 51. Most women have about a thousand eggs. So even when you think you're completely out, you're not completely out. But we have issues with not only quantity, but we also have quality. So your eggs have technically been around for a year longer than you have. And as time goes on, they become very, very fragile. And Carrie, what happens when they become fragile? So the eggs contain all of the chromosomes that you're going to, or genetic material that you're going to pass on to your babies. And what happens is they contain a, you know, more or less duplicate set of the chromosomes that you have as mama. And half of them get jettisoned because you need to make room for the other half coming from the sperm and for whoever's you know providing sperm and, and is going to fill in that gap. Um, but what happens is that over 40 some odd years, there is no mechanic inside those little eggs to mm-hmm. oil that machinery. And so like any piece of machinery that that is not tended to, it doesn't function as well. So the brain is, and, and the the program that's supposed to happen is that, all right, these little chromosomes divide up so that you've got a pair of, for example, the number one chromosome, half is supposed to go to each side so that the other half can then come from who's ever providing sperm. Well, those two chromosomes have been best girlfriends for now well over 40 years and they get the instructions you need to separate and they promptly say, screw you, we're best friends, we're sticking together. (laughs) And so what happens is that you are more prone to getting too many or too few chromosomes. And the body is really well programmed to say, if this pregnancy isn't going to work from the outset, we're just not going to play. And that can mean a negative pregnancy test. That can mean a very early miscarriage. That can mean an aneuploid embryo if you're going through IVF. Um, What is an aneuploid embryo? So aneuploid is where the chromosome number is too many or too few. 
And, and that's really important because pregnancy is a risky thing for the body to do. And so if it, if it's not going to work from the beginning, the body is like, we're out and, and it won't support that embryo to grow. Um, and the embryo itself won't grow. So, so a lot of questions we also get are, so what can I do then to make new eggs or make my eggs better? Or, you know, I'm healthy. Um, I exercise frequently. I eat really well. Is that going to help my eggs? And probably we would all agree on this, that unfortunately it's one of those things, just like aging, there's nothing you can do about it. We don't think that, at least there's not strong data to show that anything really makes a significant difference there. Especially in the age group we're specifically talking Mm -hmm. about today. Right, right. Yeah, the 45 and older for sure. It's a, that is a distinct age group. Yeah. And so we think that, you know, there's probably not much, you know, certainly it's good to be healthy. I mean, if you want to carry a pregnancy, it's good to be healthy. It's good to be of normal weight. It's good to eat well, but that's probably going to not help your eggs because really when we talk about the 45 and older group, it's really the eggs and the ovaries that are the problem for most of the women the uterus is fine. Most likely you can carry a pregnancy. We don't think there's a big problem with that, but it's just actually the genetic material in your eggs. And we know from data through in vitro fertilization that if we genetically test embryos from women at 41, it's going to take about about 90% of those embryos are genetically abnormal. Um, By 42, something like it takes, we have to retrieve or get 24 eggs to find one that's genetically normal in a 42-year-old. So like Carrie was mentioning earlier, it's really the genetic issue with the eggs. They're really the big problem. It's not carrying the pregnancy or, or delivering the pregnancy. But Susan, what would you say about pregnancy and delivery in a 45-year-old or somebody that's older than 45? So now most women who are over 45 and, and generally, and I think in most clinics, um, even when we're talking about using things like donor egg or donor embryo, there is a general upper limit. So in that 45 to 55-ish range. um, Or younger. (laughs) Exactly. We do know that there are, are, are increased risks in pregnancy. So there are increased risks of cardiac events, so heart issues. And so your doctor may recommend you to get a cardiac clearance before um, going forward with pregnancy, there is an increased risk of preeclampsia or blood pressure issues in pregnancy. There's an increased risk of diabetes in pregnancy. And all these things are even in healthy upper forties people. So please just because you're healthy doesn't mean it, these things can't or won't happen, but it's still good to be healthy though. And it's still good yes. to be of normal body weight. Your odds <laughs> are better if you are healthy going in. We don't we don't want to add on things. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yes. Um, increased risk of preterm delivery, um, mainly because of some of those complications that we were already talking about. Increased risk of C-section. Um, and, and so it's it's not without risk. Now, like I said, most people are going to be fine. You get your good medical care. You go see your OB-GYN. You'll probably be followed by a maternal fetal medicine doctor. But but it, it is a higher risk pregnancy as compared to somebody who may be 10 years younger. So how can you how can you approach if you're 45 years or older and and we have all pretty much just said, okay, your chances of getting pregnant with your own eggs are one percent or less due to just the realities of biology, no matter how young, beautiful, and in in shape you are. And that is I mean, I I think all three of us, I know I personally have seen women who are over the age of 45 who look 10 years younger than I do. 
and who can run farther, faster, and who are just gorgeous. And unfortunately, none of those things matter about the egg quality. Like it just, it is, it is that how biology works. But so if you've got somebody who's in that group of a less than 1% chance of success, what do you tell them? Do you tell them, oh, geez, you know, SOL, I'm sorry, or, or what can we offer them? Well, I think for some of those patients, even though you've just given statistics that I absolutely agree with, some of those patients just emotionally have a really hard time accepting that. And so, you know, honestly, I give them statistics. I talk to them about the, you know, the chances, but I will say in a lot of those situations, I'll have somebody say, well, but let me just try because, you know, kind of deep down, we all feel like we're going to be the exception to the rule. And so sometimes, you know, I I say, okay, if you want to try for a few months, two or three months, let's just try and see what happens. And more times than not, the great majority of times, it doesn't work effectively. And so usually at that point, that's when we really get serious about talking about using either donated embryos. So an embryo would be um, something that was created from another woman's egg and another man's sperm. Um, That embryo was created, and then we would prepare the uterus with estrogen to thicken the lining up and with progesterone um, to help the pregnancy implant. Um, And we would transfer that embryo in. So that would be an embryo that wouldn't be biologically related. Um, The other possibility would be that we would take a donated egg from a different woman. And then depending on what that person's situation was, if they were, if they had a male partner, then we could use the partner's sperm, create an embryo that would biologically be linked to him, um, and you would still be able to carry the pregnancy. So with either one of those two options, donor egg or donor embryo, as the female partner in that situation, you would still be able to carry the pregnancy, deliver the pregnancy, um, breastfeed the child, um, and you know still be able to do all the things that you know people really think is cool about motherhood. Um, with the exception of having the biologic component. And, and for some people, that's they don't want that. But for other people, they say, you know, it's really important for me to raise a child together with my partner. And that's the thing I'm more focused on. And it's disappointing that I can't have a biologic connection, but I'm okay with, you know, being able to carry and deliver the pregnancy. So Susan, what are the pros and cons of using an egg donor? Mm-hmm. So... Pros of egg donors is they, um, and when I say egg donor, I'm going to be right now referring to anonymous egg donors um, because that is what is most common in the United States. I think all of us work with some known egg donors, but but for the most part, we mainly work with anonymous egg donors is that they generally tend to be younger. So they're usually less than 32. Most of them are in their 20s. they produce more eggs. Um, you get to you if you have a male partner who has sperm, you can have a child that is at least has half biologic ties. Um, you get to have, I, I think you can be a little bit pickier when it comes to what I would consider demographics, you know, height, weight, hair color, eye color ethnic background, educational background, medical history, um, because there's more of them um, as compared to embryo donation. Um, so there, there's, there's, there's a little bit, like I said, more, 
you can be a little pickier about what you're potentially looking for. Um, you have the option of fresh versus frozen eggs. So, you know, you can buy eggs through an egg bank um, that have already been procured. That's becoming more and more common. Um, though I do think most clinics still have some access to a fresh donor pool where you would have choose a donor who would then go through and they would freshly create embryos. So I think those are kind of the big advantages of what I would consider egg donation over embryo donation. So embryo donation is a different ball of wax. It is a couple who has already created embryos that they have then said, our family is complete. We are done. We want to give these embryos to another family to help build their own family. And so the advantage of this is that all the hard work has, has been done. There's already, eggs are already out. Embryos are already created. They're already frozen. They're ready and waiting to go. And so that is the, probably the biggest benefit of embryo donation. Now, and cost. And cost, because a lot of those costs have already been absorbed by the couple. And while pretty much every clinic, you know, still has the, the fee for preparing the uterus and, and all of those types of things, we have to do FDA testing. So all of that covers that, you know, nobody is getting paid for embryo donation in the sense that you're not paying that other couple for their embryo. You're they're donating it and you are paying for the services of, of doing the FDA screening and doing the, the testing and the preparation for the couple. At least that's how it works in our clinic. I, I would say it depends on how, how the system works. So I, I have kind of two levels of experience. We at TFC have an embryo donation program, and then I have worked with patients who have purchased embryos from embryo donation charities or what nonprofits and, and those types of things. So my experience with those is that generally embryos cost between one to $2,000 per embryo. And you have to go through a selection process um, that is similar to adoption where you create mm-hmm. a portfolio and you have to be selected home and, and home study and different things like that. Um, our process at our clinic, we have our own embryo donation program and we actually make it much more transactional. It's mm-hmm. essentially, you can purchase two embryos and a frozen embryo transfer. Now we usually transfer one embryo at a time, yeah. but that's kind of how our package is. And it's without all that other drama <laughs> per se. I, I, it's, it, it's a very nice situation, but you do pay for the embryos. You pay for the embryos, but it's not as though, but in most cases, you're not with any kind of egg donation or embryo donation, you are paying for what allows it to happen. It's not like you're going to somebody and saying, you know, I'm going to give you X dollars to, to give us this. It's you're paying for, you know, in the case of the nonprofits or, or clinics, like you know, you're just, those fees just about cover the storage, the maintenance, the tests that are required. Like it is not really a, a, there's no profit generation for anybody on that. But when you're using those embryos, you don't get to choose a whole heck of a lot because those, those embryos are scarce. And um, it's not like you can say, oh, I really want a woman who's five, 10 to six feet tall and and if everything they've got is women who are five four five five, like that's that's what you got. Um, there's no there's no selection. It's just these embryos are created. 
They may or may not be genetically tested. They may or may not be from a woman who is young. In many cases, they are from women who are in their mid to late 30s, sometimes 40s. Um, there's just a lot more of this is what we have. So if you want it, here you go. But um, but you don't really get a whole lot of choice. And it's not like there's an unlimited supply either. Not that there's ever an unlimited supply of embryos. Um, but But if this couple created X number and there's only two left or there's only one left, what you get is what you get. One other point I wanted to bring up too before we finish is, you know, it's really interesting over the course of my career, the genetic component and the genetic issue has really changed, or at least what we talk to patients about now. Um, when I first started out, that was way before 23andMe and way before, um, mm-hmm. you know, being able to find out biology. And, you know, at the time, I will say when I started out early on, I would say them a lot of couples said, oh, we're never going to tell the child. Well, you know, this is a secret that we're going to keep. And of course, I'm sure pretty much every fertility center then and now did, you know, implications counseling where we had you talk to a counselor about what are the implications of having a baby that's not biologically yours or biologically your husband's. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people, particularly in certain situations, just decided it was probably easiest and best to keep that secret. Although we have always counseled, it's probably best not to have big family secrets. And I think now it's really, you know, 23andMe and just the genetics that we're able to do have really opened up a can of worms that nobody could have ever anticipated 15 or 20 years ago. And so, you know, if you guys have done that, you know that you know, if you did 23andMe and your sister did 23andMe or one of the other genetics groups out there that that do that kind of testing, it'll come up and show that you're first degree relatives. You're, it means you're a mother, father, brother, sister of this person. And so the way we counsel patients now has changed dramatically because there really are no secrets left anymore in the genetics world. And who knows what's going to be out there, you know, when your child grows up 10 or 15 years from now or 15 or 20 years, who knows what they'll, they'll probably be able to come up with pictures of relatives and things that they can't come up with now. And so, you know, I think like anything we do, it's good to be transparent early on, let your child know early on, we really wanted to have you and we went through all these steps. And even though I may not be your biologic mother, I really wanted you or I wouldn't have done all this, you know, and I I think there's ways to do that where it just becomes part of your family history and their family history. And it's not that big of a deal if you, you know, think about that and talk about that with your child really early on. Absolutely. I I think there, and kind of to, um, make this come full circle, also understand that these options that we're talking about are are not necessarily going to be the right options for everybody. And what may be the right option for you right now may not be the right option for you in a couple years from now. So, you know, I, I want people listening that if you listen to this and you're like, oh, I would never choose donor egg or I would <laughs> never choose donor embryo. You may change And your that's mind. where you are. That's a, it's okay. And, and we all very much respect that opinion, but also know we are not going to cast any judgment if a year or two down the road, you're like, okay, we're ready. We're, we're just happy to see you. We're happy to help you. And, and we want to help you on your personal journey. And when we bring up, um, I've had patients who have been really offended in the past because other docs have said, you really should go with a donor egg or donor embryo. When we're offering those those options, most of the time it's just to make sure you know everything that's out there because a lot of people haven't ever considered that they haven't or mm-hmm. they haven't ever considered it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, what we're trying to do is just make sure you know your options and you're well counseled because if you want to try the the mode of success that gives you just a couple of percentage points, 
you know, that's, that's your prerogative. You know, we, we make sure, you know, okay, what we're doing may not have a high likelihood of success, but if you got to try, you got to try. And, and so it's never something personal and it's, and I've had patients who have been really offended at their prior docs of, well, how could they do this? They didn't, they didn't even examine me. They just looked at my birthday. Like, well, you know, that there's, there's some truth to that. And it's never meant to be offensive. It's just, you came to us to help, help you get pregnant. And so that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. All right. I think we have covered a lot of the, a lot of the issues and a lot of ground in half an hour. Um, all right. So we are so delighted to <laughs> to our audience that um, that you are listening. And thank you so much. Be sure to tune in next week for more. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. We love to hear from you. You can also visit Fertility Docs Uncensored to schedule an appointment with any of us or submit sub- sub- ah, I can't talk specific <laughs> questions about infertility. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously in our Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We love to hear from you. Sorry, Susan, I made you do the hard part. So now all I get to say is, <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. See you all next week.